Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Dixu, uh, welcome to the show. I'm excited about having you on. Uh, your background and, and the work that you do in this world is quite impressive. Uh, welcome to the Future of Development podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to a wonderful conversation with you. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, as I did uh, research on your background, I was thoroughly impressed with uh, your, your kind of your breadth of your work and the number of places where you're just really impacting uh, the way that we live in our society. But before I get into all that beautiful stuff, and it, it really is, and we're gonna talk about a great body of work, I think your education is even more uh, unique. So I think it's kind of worth the audience kind of get to know you a little bit and how, you, how your path lines up uh, with, uh, your, with your education. I think that's kind of a neat spot to start. So yes, I think I've had a varied, very interesting educational journey. Of course, my school and high school was all here in New Delhi in India. But while I was in school, probably just when I entered school, I was four or five years old. I was very clear that I wanted to grow up and become either the prime minister of the country or an architect. Um, Fortunately, I made the right choice, or at least I'm sitting in the right one. But um, all through architecture was very clear. As I grew, I, I became stronger in my conviction about wanting to pra- uh, become an architect. And one of the things I was fascinated was uh, with was the architecture in Europe, particularly in Italy. So I started learning Italian language. First, actually, I learned French, and then I learned Italian. But um, as I decided to apply to universities in Italy, I would also applied to universities in the US, and one institution which sort of struck me was Taliesin, the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture. I just thought it was so cool. The whole education system, rather more than education, it was about, uh, as, as they call it, their uh, learning by doing. So it was about a new way of life. And I thought that was fascinating for somebody who had uh, you know, grown up in a very protected, a very privileged, if I can even say that, environment in India, uh, to be going out there to the Wild West and, and, and learning to do many, many things, including construction, including gardening, including uh, cooking, and, and you know, many more things that Taliesin is all about. So I applied there, and I was lucky that I was chosen by the uh, Taliesin Institute uh, to, to go out there and study. And we are talking about early 90s. So that's not the time really email or computers were that common and and for me even India you know in back in 1991 is when India literally opened its doors to the world we became overnight a liberalized multinational uh, uh, we we, uh, welcomed multinational companies into India so India in that sense opened up to the world both in terms of economy but also in other measures so 93 is when I was chosen to go to Taliesin, and that's the time when even making telephone calls overseas was a privilege. So I remember making these three-minute calls 
every 14 days, every alternate Saturday, I would make this call home and talk to my whole family, parents, grandparents, everybody else. And that would be in a span of 180 seconds. So all the conversation that happened was, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Fine, thank you. And with the 10 or 12 family members, that's all that you managed to talk about. But um, going to Taliesin was a great experience. It opened my eyes to the world. I just realized how the world is. I mean, going on holidays uh, to, to these countries was very different from living in the desert and uh, getting to, like I said, get my hands literally dirty by uh, doing construction there, gardening, cooking, which I had never done in my life. So all these experiences, I think, really made me uh, matured me. I think I grew overnight. And that experience was just fantastic. You know, uh, I, I live in Oak Park where Frank Lloyd Wright is. And I, I really, the thought and his thought process, you know, what was fun about him is the loss, the lack of pretend, uh, pretense and his ability to be a common man but also this wildly creative human being, right? The, uh, uh, there was, he was, you know, my, my, uh, my wife often refers to uh, me as faceted and I would refer to him as faceted. There's so many different facets to the Frank Lloyd Wright mindset. You know, the things that they, the way that he taught people through living and actually being with the earth and feeling it, that to me seems like, uh, you know, a great structural foundation to start the way to think about uh, uh, construction. So I, I, that's, uh, you know, it's unique in that it's not just theory. There's a physical application to it and actually get to know and feel it. You know, I often say that uh, I know I, I can do a lot of construction because I've, I can, I know how things work, right? Once I understand the fundamentals of it, then the rest of it kind of uh, the creativity comes to it and the knowledge and the breakdown of thought makes it a little bit easier to approach. Oh, absolutely. I think it was very special. And what drew me to Taliesin was all about uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's philosophy of organic architecture. Because for me, from, from childhood, like I said, my aspiration was to be an architect, but also I loved nature. And I always believe that nature and buildings need to coexist. Humanity and uh, nature need to coexist. And that is something which has always been my inner belief. So I saw that happening at uh, Taliesin, and that's what drew me there. But from Taliesin, which is a very special, I mean, you, you just called it a university, but it's a very special institute because there were just 70 of us, and there were 35 students and 35 faculty members or mentors, and that's all that, and we were all living together there. So that's what this institution was about. But from Taliesin, going to the hallowed uh, halls of uh, Harvard was just a very, very different experience. I think the pendulum swung from one direction to another, but again, a very holistic, very humbling experience. I remember the first thing that our uh, uh, chair of our program said to us, I was the youngest guy in that program when I entered at the age of 23. We were just 26 students, and out of which there were only four Americans. The rest were from all over the world in that program. And what our chair of the program uh, or head of the department said was that, look, you're going to be here for two years, but remember one thing, that you are going to learn more from each other than you're going to learn from the faculty, because you all come from different nations, different civilization, different culture, and what you're going to imbibe from each other is going to be far greater than what I'm going to come and talk to you in your studio. And that was so true. So I think both those educational experiences have had a 
very, very profound effect on, uh, on me. You know, isn't that kind of the metaphor for life, right? As I travel the world and spend time, you know, uh, my family and I travel a lot. We do, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of, I really inspire them to travel and get out there and get with, with other cultures and religions and groups. And when I reach out and I get to really be with others, I learn more from them, right? And I get to see a broader view of the world and never have I traveled somewhere and not met another man or another woman or another, you know, another man who's doing the same thing I am, trying to raise a great family, who's working hard to make their family better, you know, trying to think of new creative ways of doing things. And it makes it so much more difficult to look at the world with that cynical eyes. As I look at, as I look at people, you know, there are days when I'm tired, right? And, and my brain gets up in Jurassic Park. I, I get that. Like I wake up sometimes and my brain's kind of grumpy. But when I really get out there and travel and spend time with people, I ultimately find the joy of them, the joy of their culture, the joy of their religions, the joy of their foods, uh, their, their, their architecture, their designs. Uh, you, know, you can really see their history and their foods. Uh, and to me, that's, if more of us did that, I think there'd be a lot less of this arguing and fighting political stuff that we carry. And I think oftentimes we would we'd shoot people to say, stop wars. I mean, look, we're really working hard to do something together on this planet that's uh, way more important than whatever you're arguing about. Absolutely. I mean, I, I might sound a bit philosophical here, but I truly believe that, you know, when you talk about civilization and we, when you talk about growth, you talk about a civilization which matures. What do you learn from your ancestors? What do you learn from the past? I think it's very important to realize that one of the things that probably we are missing out in the 21st century is the fact that we are becoming less and less tolerant. And that is very unfortunate because if we have an education behind us, if we have a culture that we have all experienced, if we can get to travel more easily from one part of the world to the other, then the, the, the natural uh, uh, result of all this is that we should become more tolerant or more aware of each other and our differences and learn to respect them. And I personally feel, and that is something which gives me great joy, that the profession that I am in, the work that I am doing, allows me as a designer to bring society together. And I think design is a very, very powerful tool. I mean, buildings outlive us. We are here for a fewer years than buildings are going to be. So I think what we are creating are not just works of art. They are not just ephemeral uh, elements that are going to come in, uh, on this planet, but they are very important markers, not just of our civilization, but I think they are very, very important elements which can actually teach us a lot and bring us together. Why do we travel to see Statue of Liberty or why do we go and see Eiffel Tower? It's because those buildings beckon us. Why do we go to the Leaning Tower of Pisa or to the pyramids in Egypt or for that matter, the plethora of uh, marvels that we have out here in India? These buildings are able to bring cultures and people from all over the world, attract them. So I feel the field that I am in, design allows us to do that. But one of the things that I am a strong proponent of is that I believe that design in the 20th century, particularly starting from the West, and of course in, in countries like India and all over the world for that matter, has become classified into silos. And I think that is most unfortunate. Design is such a field that takes inspiration from anything and everything and relates to each other. 
And when I say silos, I'm talking about architecture and interiors and landscape and arts and sculpture and structural engineering. All these aspects of design are now sitting in their different fields or their different silos. And I think one of the things I'm very keen to do is break these kind of silos, which is what uh, we have attempted to do here in our firm that I run, CP Kukreja Architects, that I have created this as a multidisciplinary firm. So we are not just a firm of architects or engineers, but we are a firm of all these disciplines that I just mentioned, all of us professionals coming together and working as one entity, because all of us contribute in that one goal, and that is creating a new built environment. You know, it's, uh, you talk about so many great topics there. You know, the, the, the part about tolerance for me, as, as we look at that, I, I sometimes wonder if we've just changed so much over the last, you know, these, these recent years that so many people are drinking off of a fire hose, right? There's just the overwhelming amount of technology, the growth, the things that are happening. And people are, I think a lot of people go un unconscious, right? They get a little bit, you know, they're just so overwhelmed all the time that changes upon us. These are great changes, right? Like you talk about these silos, you know, as I interview people from around the world, I mean, they're doing magical things. I mean, people are changing AI and robots and technologies and material sciences. The things that are happening around the world, are, it's never been a better time to live on the planet. I mean, the stuff that we're doing is magical and but I, at the same time, I think it's overwhelming. I, you know, my father, my father's father uh, was a carpenter, right? He, he might have done one job a month. He, they moved into places to do the, a, a project. Their, their work was, you know, it's slow. It, it was steady. They had time to think, right? They didn't have, I mean, it, look, if he, if he just did his work today, right? Even if he just if we moved him from his time and same work he did today, the cell phone, the computer, the kids that are coming out a thousand miles an hour, car, just all the things that in, you know, how, how complicated life has gotten. And as we do this, I, you know, I applaud you, right? The work you guys are doing are, it's amazing. Taking, taking the world and saying, Hey, look, we've got a lot of stuff. Let's just take a second. You know, I, I work with brands that are doing a zero emissions buildings. And every time I look at my, what, what's the stuff that you're doing? Are you inventing stuff? They're like, no, all we've really done is slow down a second. And we've picked stuff that's already out there and available. Absolutely. Oftentimes the architectural firms are going so fast. They don't stop and look at uh, the, the you know, things that are already available and bringing those aspects in, into life and shining lights on existing stuff that's there. So, uh, you know, I applaud you for being multidisciplinary, right? Having those little silos, Oftentimes, right, I mean, literally right over here is the exact item, you know, a step away from you is the perfect items that you need, but bringing them together uh, in unison and harmony, you know, and then the creativity of it. I mean, when I look at your buildings, they're not, they're not normal. When I, when I, when I first saw your buildings, I thought to myself, I, I've got to shine light on, on your work because it's magical. It literally does uh, translate your soul. You know, it, it's the first time I went to, um, India, another building that did that for me was uh, the Taj Mahal. I, I walked through that tunnel and the first time I saw the Taj, it moved my soul. Like it, it invoked a feeling of, of reverence and emotion. And, you know, as I look at some of the work that you're doing, you can feel the work. You can really feel that those buildings that you're creating, the structures that you're, you're manifesting are, are that way, right? They're, they're in, in, a, in a evoking 
uh, a, you know, a, a creativity that's, that's not just uh, uh, a structure to house humans? No, absolutely, because I believe that architecture uh, cannot be uh, relegated or diluted to the aspect of just being a visual art. I think architecture is one of those great uh, uh, professions of uh, great opportunities that as architects we get is to create experiences and how memorable can we make those experiences that I think where uh, we should be putting all our effort because it's not just about how you are going to be looking at a building. It's about how you experience that space both internally and externally. And I feel uh, the uh, country that I come from, where I'm sitting today, it, India has such a repertoire of, of uh, cultural diversity, of architectural legacy. There is so much inspiration here that I think it would be absolutely, uh, completely, I think, ignorant and blasphemous, I would say, on our part today, if as professionals, we are not inspired by what our ancestors or our predecessors have created. When we have this kind of a repertoire of history, I think what we need to today do, and that's how we approach our designs and our buildings, is taking the inspiration from the context. And the context can be the geographical context, because India is so diverse from mountains to de deserts to be a, a coastal area to the plains to the riverbeds. I mean, we have we have it all in terms of nature and and the diversity that is there geographically to our cultural diversity, to our diversity in religions or languages or even the climate. So all these aspects put together bring about such a plethora of, of aspects that I think need to become our inspiration. And unless as architects, we look at these aspects and study them carefully and whatever we create from there on should be with this basis. And then of course, using and, and uh, uh, sort of reaching the boundaries, I would say of technology, uh, we should be able to create something new. That's the way we go about approaching our buildings and um, our projects. And of course, every project is a strive to do something new, to do something better, to do something meaningful. And I feel privileged that the team that surrounds me and works with me has the same kind of passion. And like our uh, vision is, the vision of our organization is to create an environment uh, which, is, which is really having its local context, but is really at a global level. So I think today the world is one and that's how we need to treat our architecture as well. You know, you know the question I have is as we grow, you know, I, I was just in Dubai a, a couple of weeks ago and I, I look at the, the amazing growth that's happened in Dubai, right? And the question I ask is, will it, what will that look like in 400 years? Right when in 400 years from now, when you look back over it, will it will it be Paris? Will it be Rome? I mean, will it stand the test of time uh, over it? You know, as, as we look at uh, today's architecture, how do you design uh, buildings and structures that one pay homage to the past, the history of the place that it is, the 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 stuff that uh, uh, that you know the the culture was, and and taking 
uh, look at the place and the work that it needs to do as a building, as a structure, what's it, what's its performance needs, and then what's it going to look like as it transition, transitions into the future, right? The, diver, you know, the ability for it to be flexible and, and have uh, adaptation to the future that, that, that takes place. So as, as you start to look at that, how do you guys approach that? How do you look at uh, the ability to, to do that, uh, you know, both homage to the past, you know, that, that kind of that, that conversation? So that's a very interesting question, Anthony, and I think deep about this. What I feel when I look back uh, you know, at the history of architecture, and particularly if we go as recent as the last century, the 20th century, uh, late 19th and 20th century, was where, uh, as human beings, we became fascinated with machines. And we just thought that because our, our, we are so adept at them and we are able to create newer and faster and older and larger machines, we just thought, you know, we, we, we are uh, progressing. And I think that became sort of our uh, approach that progress or modernity means all these things. But what we have realized, I think, in recent years, world over, is that fascination for the machines at the cost of nature at the cost of our environment is something which is now beginning to hit us hard. We have ignored it for the last 30 to 40 years. The signs were all there, but we ignored it. Whether it was the West or the developing countries or the less developed countries, everybody ignored it and had pr pretended to have good reasons for it. As I look at the crystal ball and say, what is the future of architecture going to be? I can already see we are in a state of transition. We are already now talking so much about sustainability and climate change. So I think the realization is already happening. But what I see is that ironically, when you spoke about 400 years from now, now that's a far way to sort of predict, but I would still sort of take the challenge and predict where we are going to be 200 or even 400 years from now. And you know what, ironically, I think we are going to go back in time we are going to now realize that just building taller, building bigger, building bolder is not what progress has been about. And I think we are going to go back to nature and we are going to start creating habitats. We are going to start creating our cities are going to almost turn into forests once again. I know it might be hard to believe. I know there might be many who would disagree with me out there today, but I do believe that the cycle is going to reverse and we are going to go more and more and more towards the roots, towards the environment. And I hope that I'm right, that nature is going to take over once again, what 20th century we believed that our progress and our modernity, our inventions had taken over nature and we could control nature. We could control earthquakes, we could control floods, we could contr control volcanoes or eruptions. All that we have realized, you know, nature is far more powerful. So I think the path from here on, as I see in architecture or in our urban environments, is going to be about paying ode to nature, realizing that we need to work with it, realizing that nature is supreme, and that's the kind of architectural vocabulary I see going forward. You know, it's uh, you're right. We, we've tried. We've tried to harness the nat nature and uh it you know one day it's going to flick us off this planet like a flea off of a dog and uh sometimes i laugh but uh, uh you know while we live here and, and we get inspired uh, your architecture the work that your your group does i was uh and uh, like i was saying i was in dubai and uh, i got to see your 
your pavilion, your Indian pavilion, and the work you did over there, and what what matter you know the the homage you paid to India and the way that you did it, it, it really did serve everything about uh, the creativity, the beauty of it, and then the 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 the, the overwhelming experience of it as you walk through the hall, just the, the photos and stuff about it. Uh, great great work, uh, you know there. Uh, uh, that that had to be a pretty good uh, experience. It was a great experience, yes, and thank you for the compliments. It was a very unusual project. It was prestigious and how. It was a challenge and how. Because the prime minister of our country was very clear that we need to now show to the world the new face of India, the new India, as we call it, a modern, progressive India, which is out there for the world and with the world. We are not trying to prove anything else except show that you know we are a nation which is marching forward with everybody along, not at the cost of anybody. So with all that kind of a political narrative that, that one was aware of, the other challenge was that our building of the India Pavilion had to be uh, a, a building which would have a legacy. It is one of the three pavilions at, in the entire expo, which is going to remain uh, beyond the expo there. It's a permanent building. And at the same time, another challenge was that unlike many of the pavilions and the word pavilion conjures images in our mind that we can do something which is very form oriented, which is where form, sculpture takes precedence over the functionality of it. In India pavilion, it was the contrary. I was told very clearly that look, we have an X amount of built up area that is permitted and we want you to build to the last square inch. And I explained that if we do that, where do I do the sculptural uh, artistic gymnastics with my architecture? It ends up being literally a box. So lo and behold, that uh, um, our client said, yes, if it's a box, it's a box, but we want maximum area. And the reason was that the amount of information that was here that India wanted to share with the world was a lot. We had to represent 30 states of the country, 1.3 billion people, from yoga to astro, uh, to our uh, exploits in, in, in the star world, in astro, uh, as, uh, uh, you know, in the space age, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was so much to be showcased out there. So bottom line was that I thought, how do I represent such a diverse India? Do I show the Western part of India or the Eastern or a certain era of India? What do I show where a country which has hundreds of languages and hundreds of cultures, what do I show? So our uh, idea was that let us show a modern India in the sense of a kinetic architecture, an architecture which is mobile, an architecture where the facade changes, where it's made up of this facade which moves all the time. So that's showing how India is is showing its sense of modernity that we are we are uh, sort of breaking the envelope and we are out there trying to create very modern buildings yet that facade acts as a very subtle backdrop a canvas on which we can uh, project multiple through, um, uh, uh, projection mapping etc we can show multiple facets of india so that facade would act like a blank canvas where we could project the different aspects of India, different cultures, and when every state had a particular week that it celebrated at the expo, so it would showcase the facets of that particular region of India. 
So that's how the architecture um, uh, of this uh, India Pavilion came up. But I'm very happy to see that, you know, it's, it's, it's a sense of gratitude, a very humbling experience that with all our efforts, we have been able to showcase to the world a very contemporary Indian architecture. India is usually the word India conjures images of its uh, Taj Mahal, like you said, or many, many uh, historical monuments that India possesses. But to be able to reach the level where the India Pavilion design was chosen amongst the top three designs of the pavilions from all over the world, I think is a great sense of uh, uh, achievement, if I can say, but also a sense of gratitude that yes, we have achieved the recognition we set out to achieve. I mean, you got to be, uh, hold on. The sense of pride. I mean, first, first of all, first question: How did you guys get chosen? How did how did uh, uh, you know uh, CPKA? How did, that process had to be arduous process to go through, and and just to be chosen to be there. That that's that that itself is a, a huge. I mean, among all of the uh, architects that were there, I mean, yours stands out. That 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 your the work that you did there is not. Uh, it it stands. I mean, you're right. That that facade captures you it, it's like what's going on there you see uh, all the you're exactly right the facets of india right everybody's panels as they move uh very unique and, and you go to different parts of the day you're seeing different things which uh, uh is, is also uh, you know really unique uh you know so that that process how 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 did you get what was that uh, that vetting process to get chosen so um, the government of India had entrusted this work to a, a government body, which actually conducted a design competition. So there were many architectural firms which participated in this design competition. And fortunately, I think the, uh, what, what we projected and what we presented was uh, appreciated the most. And according to that selection process, we, we got chosen for this design. But once we got chosen, I think the real story began from there because we had to deal with and discuss the project with lots and lots of people. They were the, the uh, uh, organizational bodies from commerce, from culture, from even our honorable prime minister's office. There were so many people and everybody had their own opinion about what India should be projected like. Everyone, but everyone, had an opinion about how India Pavilion should look like. So for me to navigate through that process, for me to be able to assimilate everybody's thought processes and yet stand firm in being able to create something which would meet all these varied requirements of different people, all the different aspirations they were talking about and make it realized, and that too, in a very, very strange time when we are sitting in India, we were working in a foreign land and there was the pandemic and we couldn't even travel for a long period. Flights were banned. You know how everything had come to a halt the world over. And yet we had to keep making sure that this building is going ahead. There was a pause in construction, of course, but once that started, we still couldn't travel there. So everything had to happen virtually. I think there was a lot that one has experienced in this project. I mean, it, just coordinating that alone would drive uh, uh, drive you uh, a little bit batty. But uh, you know, uh, as I look at your company, as I look at uh, uh, C CPKA, you know, it's it's been around for a while, right? And uh, if I'm correct, your father's your father uh, started the business. Yes, absolutely right. He started it a little over fifty years ago. 
And it's been a beautiful journey of the firm. I think very, very interesting because my father, when India gained independence in 1947, as you might know, there was the horrific partition uh, of the country which took place and split the country into India and Pakistan. At that point, my father and his family, he was only a, a, a nine-year-old child and he, his family and he belonged to Pakistan. And overnight, they had to uh, just escape to India. And when he reached here, the nine-year-old child had no family, no parents. So he was, he was literally on the street. But from there, with a lot of perseverance and hard work, uh, he, he, of course, got through his school education and then decided to become an architect. And then, and I'm talking in the early and mid 60s, when travel was not as easy as it is today, for that man to board a ship and go all the way to Australia to study town planning, and then all the way to Canada to study and do his master's in architecture, and then also move to England to work there for some time. These were experiences I think very few people back then were able to get, and all this with no money really that he had. So it was all through scholarships. Uh, so from that point, I think as a child, I have heard these stories, and they have been the most humbling stories there have been stories which have made sure that we stick to the ground. We realize that we are very ordinary people. We might have got opportunities to do something, but at the end of the day, even today, we are just ordinary folks. And from there to be able to rise and build, build this organization, he started as a two-man practice. He won the competition for one of the most prestigious projects at that time in India, way back in 1971, which was a university uh, named after our, our founding Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru. That university was in Delhi. It was a very large university on 1,000 acres of land. And this young man in his early 30s won that competition. And from there, the journey of our firm started. So from that to where I was able to enter into the firm precisely 25 years ago in 1997, and also then carve uh, uh, sort of my own route, my own path within the firm, and then get the opportunity to lead the firm. I think it's been a fantastic journey, but what has stood the test of time is this passion that everybody in CPKA have. We are, or we, we, we are not here for the frills of it. We are not here just, you know, to take things casually. We are a very focused firm, and I'm happy that my entire leadership team of 15 of us have that same shared passion, have that same shared sense of responsibility. And all the way down through the entire firm, we have the same shared core values that we all believe in, that we all jointly arrived at. That, okay, at CPK, as CPK, these are our shared core values. And then we all try to, you know, have fun, but stick to those values. You know, as you transition that growth, and, and I've experienced that same, you know, go through that same experience, you know, my transition as a man, uh, as a leader from the times I started where we, you know, where we began, and now I lead leaders, and that was a transition, right, going from the physical, you know, the world where I was the guy who managed the projects and managed the stuff, to managing groups of people, to now managing leaders of groups of people, you know, that transition for myself was a journey, right? I mean, uh, the, the firm and the companies grow as I grew, right? As you get inspired uh, to lead the group that you do today, 
what are the things that you do to continue to grow and, and, and inspire yourself uh, to lead the firm? So uh, I think uh, you're absolutely right. As one grows, as one, uh, you know, gets, gains more maturity, more experience, you, you assimilate things from around the world. You assimilate, hopefully, the good things that you see around, inspirational leaders, uh, friends who, who, who uh, can be frank to tell you your goods and bads. So from all that, I think one of the aspects that has stood firm is that uh, we, we very strongly believe that we need to always uh, be humble and contribute to the betterment of society. I can boast about saying that we are doing the tallest building of Delhi or the tallest building of South Asia, or we have designed the longest building in Asia, or we, have, we are designing currently the largest project in India. But all that I think is immaterial. I think what is important for us to realize, forget these biggest and largest and tallest. We need to understand that whatever brick we are laying on ground is meant for the betterment of humanity. If we can remember that, I think the result of it automatically turns out to be right. As far as personally, my own uh, understanding or uh, uh, growth or mantra that I believe stands firm is that one should be able to take your team along. And it is always about we or about us. It's not about I or me. And there, that's where I think we are privileged that we have a team which believes in, in a great team spirit we are people who here believe that we want to do something really which makes a difference to society, but also we want to uh, be adventurous. We want to try new things and we want to also make sure that we learn as we go through. So it's always about we trying to, you know, we have a little innovation studio where we always try to do something new. We believe in sharing information with the younger people who join our organization. We believe a lot in delegation. I mean, at every level, at every layer, we keep wanting to give more and more responsibility gradually to, to the youngest members of our team as well. So I think all those aspects make it an organization which is very vibrant, which is very excited about what we are doing. 50 years can sometimes turn an organization into a dinosaur. You become uh, uh, you know, overconfident, you think you believe that the ways that you have, and if you happen to be slightly successful, you get that sense of arrogance that you know you know it all, and therefore you don't need to experiment, you don't need to do anything better, you don't need to listen to the client because you know better than your client. All those things are a complete no-no in this organization. And I think that's what keeps us alive, that we believe that every day is a new day where we are going to learn something new and hopefully take that back home as well, not just in terms of technical learning, but values as well. And we always call ourselves the CPKA family. I think we are one joint unit. We are a family. We want to be there for each other in every which way and, and grow with each other. It is you know, uh, you certainly are inspiring, right? The work that you do, the body of work is amazing. The body, the, the, the company that you build, the eyes of the people that work for you, they're alive, right? The, I, I, I could see it as I did research and saw the, all the work that they're doing, the teams of people in your organization. 
the way they talk about the company. Uh, you have you have really you're really inspiring, and I hope that uh, uh, through this we've really inspired others uh, to pay attention to the world and where we what we can be as as we really cre- become great creators. You know what? Uh, one thing I really want to hit on before we we, we take off is. Really, where do you see us going, right? Uh, you've, you know, you're here. You guys are doing great work today. As you as you peer into the crystal ball for the next 25 years, what what do you see? What uh, what 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 do you think is going to pull us forward? What's the inspiration that pulls us into real great, uh, really dynamic future? So uh, while I did uh, mention about what I see in globally, where society is moving. And and from the point of view of our urban areas, our cities, our built environment, as I mentioned, I think we are going to more and more uh, realize and and start practicing uh, architecture, a built environment, which is much closer to nature than has been in the last 100, 150 years. So I think that, that of course, is a movement that will take shape across the world. We will start addressing this challenge which we have thrown upon ourselves, or rather disaster we have thrown upon ourselves, which is climate change. So all those things are going to happen. But professionally, if I was to look at our own organization, I see that this organization hopefully will only strengthen the value system that we have held on to. And I hope that the way India as a nation is beginning to have a positive influence globally, I hope we as that small atom of this nation, we are also able to have a global influence in terms of our architectural philosophy, our architectural belief, its approach, and be able to really make a difference wherever we get that opportunity to make a difference in the built environment and make a difference in people's lives wherever we are able to uh, go ahead and contribute architecturally. I think that's something we are really looking forward to. And we have been able to build some very vibrant associations during the pandemic when everybody uh, around I saw was in this sense of despair. We really took uh, um, spoke to, uh, within the organization and we felt that, you know, this feeling of despair has to be put in the background. We don't have to feel that way. We took it as a sense of opportunity to explore new grounds. And we have built some very strong partnerships with design firms in Tokyo, Vietnam, New York, uh, London, Dubai. And with that kind of a global network, I think hopefully we should be able to make a greater and a more meaningful impact uh, towards society and towards the built environment globally. So I'm very, very excited about the next 25 years, and I hope we can get set on and achieve what, what I'm talking about. Dixie, my friend, you are a light that it shines bright. I am so grateful to have you on the show. As your company continues to break boundaries and spread across this planet, the work you do, please, please, please come back and uh, let us shine light on the work that you're doing. I am so grateful for the time uh, that I got with you today. You're an inspiration to all of us. Uh, Continue to do this amazing work, you and your folks. Uh, over at CPK are doing great things. So uh, keep it up and uh, we're, we're grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you for those wonderful words, the appreciation, the encouragement. It just makes us feel better that yes, what we are trying to do is hopefully right and we, we should keep doing this. But I have really enjoyed this conversation and I do hope that everyone who uh, hears this and listens to it is enjoys it. 
And yes, I certainly hope to be back with you very soon and with probably more exciting stuff that we could be doing out there. Thanks again, my friend. I am grateful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.